Hey everyone, this is Father Mike Schmitz, and this is Ascension Presents. Father Mike Schmitz, Ascension Presents. Father Mike Schmitz, Ascension Presents. It's so fast, how does he do that? Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Love Speaks, the podcast uh, that is so sporadic, you probably forgot you subscribed to it. This is Father Ryan, and this is Love Speaks for Monday, November 20th, 2023, the 33rd Sunday in Ordinary Time. Really sorry that I've been away for the last couple of weeks. Uh, I was traveling one of those weeks, and then uh, I was sick. Uh, for a couple of days in there, and then the monastery ran out of water. It didn't run out of water, but the water wasn't working, and of course that sets you off somehow. I'm I'm making excuses. We were out of water, but that has nothing to do with the podcast. I am uh, glad to be back, though, and happy to um, be with you. I think that um, as we get closer to Thanksgiving, lots of reflections on gratitude, and I just want to say thanks to all of you who continue to follow along and uh, be a part of this little journey uh, of life and of faith. I've been hearing from a lot of you, and it's just really been edifying to hear your own reflections on what's been in the podcast, but also um, your reflections on your own life in these weird days that we're all living together. So I just want to know that, uh, I want you to know that I do read everything that you send, and I'm terrible at replying, um, but I'm trying to get better at it, and I can't reply to everyone. But know that if you ask me to pray, I will pray. And uh, I always appreciate your greetings. Some of you have been sending me little things to read or different kind of um, some of your own reflections based on what I've been sending out either in the newsletter or saying in these podcasts. And that's the beautiful thing. That's what I want. I think that's amazing Uh, to hear from you, to hear your own reflections, to hear the points of connections that you're drawing that uh, to what we're talking about. So thank you for that. Um, I will also recommend to you a book called The Body Keeps the Score, something that I've been reading. Um, It's by a doctor named Bessel van der Kolk. Look him up, I guess, Bessel van der Kolk. The Body Keeps the Score, Brain, Mind, and Body in the Healing of Trauma. Um, And the premise essentially is that what you go through in your life emotionally, or we'll say non-physically, has a lot to do with the way that our bodies behave. And um, there is a connection between the way your body feels and the way that you feel inside. So a lot of you have noticed, I'm sure, that after a big project at work is done, this always happened to me at the end of a semester or the end of the school year that I would get really sick for three weeks sometimes. Like, what the heck is that about? Oh, there's something going around. No, uh, your body is holding on to a lot of the stress, a lot of the difficulty that you experience emotionally. uh, Your body's holding on to it. And when it comes time to relax, it's very, very common for a lot of people to feel sick. And Dr. Van der Kolk asked, well, why is that? And uh, he wrote this book with a group of Uh, therapists and scientists, and uh, together with a bunch of patients who agreed to participate in these studies, uh, they wrote a book called The Body Keeps the Score, which is not necessarily an instruction manual on how to avoid this kind of thing in the future, but 
um, it is uh, meant to shine a light and to make you feel like you're you're okay. You're not crazy that this is happening to you. You're not dying. It's actually quite normal. And uh, I think more and more people are feeling that stress, feeling anxiety, feeling overwhelmed. And a lot of people are carrying things from the past that they don't even know that they're carrying. Maybe they know it in their mind and heart. They have memory, perhaps, but they don't know the effect that it's having on their bodies. So I don't know if that interests you. The book is called The Body Keeps the Score. I also want to say thanks to all of you who have subscribed to the Substack, Pilgrim's Prologue. Um, We're over 100 subscribers over there already, which is great. Um, Just in the first month, I'm recording this on Saturday the 18th, which is exactly one month uh, uh, since I've launched Pilgrim's Prologue. So I I appreciate your support there as well. Uh, Right now I'm working through a series on morality and uh, I don't know, hope you're enjoying that. Please remember that uh, you can subscribe for free or you can subscribe to be paid and you will get um, access to other parts of posts or videos and things that are coming along. So anyway, thank you very much for that. The gospel this week is coming right at the end of Matthew's gospel, Matthew 25. Um, It's the very famous parable of the talents. And it's important to put it into the context of the liturgical year. So next week is the 34th week of ordinary time, but we don't celebrate the 34th Sunday in ordinary time. We celebrate the great solemnity of Jesus Christ, King of the universe, a great, the culmination of the whole liturgical year. And then we prepare ourselves, of course, for the first Sunday of Advent, which is a great reset. <laughs> I shouldn't call it the great reset. That could be triggering. Uh, it's the beginning of a new liturgical year. And just like nature, just like uh, the world around us, the, the church is sort of heading into a period of darkness, and not darkness in a doom and gloom sense, but a kind of peace, a kind of quiet, a definite watching and waiting and the, the church switches um, her cry in some ways. I mean, the cry is always the same, but she really moves very intentionally towards that cry of Advent, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus. But these last couple of weeks of ordinary time are quite intense. And, you know, the gospel ends, of course, with the wailing and grinding of teeth. And that can be really intense. But Jesus is not mincing words at the end of the liturgical year. The church gives us a very intense version of Christ, and that's something that we always have to keep in a balance, right? The intensity of Christ does not outdo his mercy. The intensity of Christ does not outdo his mercy. But remember, his mercy is always a mercy that challenges and never is Uh, complacent. It's not a complacent, oh, you're fine. Just do whatever you want to do. I've been seeing a lot. I don't know why my algorithm is is doing this to me. On Instagram, I've been seeing this this post a lot um, from different places talking about that, that often you hear the argument, well, you know, Jesus ate with sinners. He ate with the tax collectors. He associated himself with them. Yes, that's true. But he didn't do that to sit with them and say, this is a great life. (laughs) I should consider doing this kind of thing myself. Everybody that he went to, he met them with mercy and he instructed them in justice. 
He met them with mercy and he instructed them in justice so that they would not live going forward the same kind of life that he found them living. And so mercy is so important, but it's a mercy that challenges. It's a mercy that says, yes, you are loved. And if you were, if you really believed that you were loved to the degree that I am loving you, how would you live your life differently? How would you live your life differently if you knew the kind of love that was here? Because all the things that you're grasping for and trying to cover up or mitigate or medicate away, you don't have to do that anymore because you are loved. And what you're looking for is my love, and I'm giving it to you freely. That's what Jesus says. So how would life be different um, if we really took that to heart? So that's the kind of crux, (laughs) no pun intended, of the Christian life. And it's the part that a lot of us struggle with and don't always want to talk about to the degree that we really need to talk about it, which is, uh, I, I, I do confess with my lips that Jesus is Lord, but does my life reflect that belief? Does my life, the way that I'm living it, reflect that belief? Not one of us is perfect at that. Not one of us is ever going to find ourselves, you know, at the end of the night when we're, we're examining our conscience saying, Everything I did was perfect today. You're never going to have that, and that's okay. The Lord doesn't ask that of you uh, in the first five seconds, right? C.S. Lewis is famous for saying you don't have to be holy by Tuesday. But remember that his grace is enough for you, and you can achieve the perfection which he calls you to, right? Be perfect as I am perfect, as the Father is perfect. Um, You can achieve it but you can only achieve it with his help. And what does that look like? What does that mean? Well, those are the questions of the Christian life. And I'm not going to answer them. Uh I'll answer them next week there. I'm I'm told on all these podcast blogs that you have to give people some sense of what's coming up so that they keep coming back. So I will give you the answer to the meaning of life next week. Stay tuned. For now, though, let's read the gospel. This is Matthew 25, verses 14 to 30. Jesus told his disciples this parable. A man going on a journey called in his servants and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to a third one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. Immediately the one who received five talents went and traded with them and made another five. Likewise, the one who received two made another two. But the man who received one went off and dug a hole in the ground and buried his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants came back and settled accounts with them. The one who had received five talents came forward, bringing the additional five He said, Master, you gave me five talents. See, I have made five more. His master said to him, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Since you were faithful in small matters, I will give you great responsibilities. Come share your master's joy. Then the one who had received two talents also came forward and said, Master, you gave me two talents. See, I have made two more. His master said to him, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Since you were faithful in small matters, I will give you great responsibilities. Come share your master's joy. 
Then the one who had received the one talent came forward and said, Master, I knew you were a demanding person, harvesting where you did not plant and gathering where you did not scatter. So out of fear, I went off and buried your talent in the ground. Here it is back. His master said to him in reply, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I did not plant and gather where I did not scatter. Should you not then have put my money in the bank so that I could have got it back with interest on my return? Now then, take the talent from him and give it to the one with ten. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will grow rich. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And throw this useless servant into the darkness outside, where there will be wailing and grinding of teeth. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Through the words of the Holy Gospel, may our sins be wiped away. Amen. So a talent uh, is a unit of measurement in the scriptures. It has uh, various meanings. It, it, it's here, it seems like money, right? It's, it's the equivalent of about 100 denarii. A denarius um, is a Roman coin, basically. And you have this master, he's going on a journey, and it must be quite a journey if he's calling his servants uh, and then giving his possessions to them. And it's interesting because the word that is used there is not give, but entrust, entrust. Uh, And that, I would say, is super duper important, the distinction there. But before you get there, what does it say about his servants? Again, doesn't say this in English. Silly, silly English. But if you go to GreekBible.com, which has been totally revamped, by the way, so you should go there. If you go to GreekBible.com, you can see in the Greek a really crucial distinction about the servants that he is giving his uh, stuff to, his possessions to. In the English, it says, a man was going on a journey He called in his servants and entrusted his possessions to them. But in the Greek, it says, a man going on a journey called his own servants and entrusted his goods to them. He called his own servants and entrusted his goods to them. So why is that significant? Well, the word in Greek for own, one's own, is the word ideos, which I've talked about before. Uh, It's where we get the word idiot. (laughs) They're similar. Uh, One's own, ideos, do, proper, specially assigned. Um, It's simple, though. It's one's own home, one's own household, one's own people, right? Um, The members of someone's household. It's something that is personal, He called his own servants and entrusted his goods to them. So these are not the lowest of the low servants. Um, These are his own servants. They belong to him in a special way. Um, Don't think about it like belong in in a possessive sense, like they were his slaves as we think about that. But these are people who were very close to him, though they were his servants. But, and 
you don't just give your possessions to anyone. When you're going on a journey, you don't just ask anybody to get the mail or water the plants. It's someone that you are trusting in your own home. It's somebody that you welcome into your own space, the most intimate spaces of your life. And it's one thing to welcome people into your home, those intimate spaces, when you're there. And it's another to say, please come and do this when I'm not here, right? Come and do this when I'm not here. That's how much I value you. That's how close you are to me. And so you can see, of course, if you read it in a certain lens, that, that we are those own servants of God, that Jesus calls the disciples to himself, Mark's gospel tells us, so that they might be with him. That's the, the language that Mark uses. He calls them to himself so that they might be with him, so that they might be his own, right? Um, and that changes the whole narrative here because these are not just employees of the master. These are not just, um, you know, the, the low men on the totem pole of the master. These are people who the master has, has brought into his closest circle and he's entrusting um, his goods to them. So that word paradidomai in Greek, that word which we get to entrust, it's not just give, oh, I'm giving you a high five, I'm giving you a $5 bill. No, it, I'm, I'm, in, I'm handing it over, I'm delivering it to you, um, I'm entrusting it to you, I'm committing it to you, I'm commending it to you. The word commend is actually really uh, important for us in the Christian life. We use the word commend a lot with death. Uh, in the funeral liturgy, we talk about the final commendation. Uh, the prayers are filled with that word commend, that we are giving the person who has died over to the Lord and trusting them to his mercy, etc., etc. But we're not just, again, we're not just, oh, I'm, I'm shipping you a book because I work at the book warehouse and I'm and you made an order so I'm shipping it to you impersonally. No. I am commending something to your care because I know you and I trust you and I believe for whatever reason, whatever qualities you possess or whatever, I believe that you are worthy of this commendation. So entrusting is also important. His own servants who are in his inner circle, who he knows, who he trusts, and he entrusts them, uh, these, these possessions, these goods to them. He commits to them. He commends them. He hands over or delivers up. But another uh, translation of that word is to stake or hazard, right? I'm going to hazard I'm going to stake a claim. I'm going to make a bet here. And we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. But he, there is always a sense of risk there. Uh, Giussani, Father Giussani has a great book called Is It Possible to Live This Way? Which is about the Christian life and the Christian approach to morality. And that's a question that a lot of us have through life. Is it really possible to live this way? And of course, it's possible to live this way. We have witnesses of people, but is it possible to live this way and be happy? <laughs> is it possible to live this way and be fulfilled? And to look at your own life, to look at the Christian life, what the church proposes for us, that's not a bad question to ask at all. I think that's a very reasonable question to ask. Is it possible for me to really live this way? You'll see that it is 
But again, going back to what we talked about earlier, it's going to require a lot of you. It's going to require a lot of you. So um, it, it, you have to hold this word intention, that the master is entrusting his possessions to them, but fully aware that as he trusts these servants with his possessions, he's actually taking a risk. And as we see later in the gospel, right, that the risk is sometimes going to pay off and sometimes is not going to pay off. But who are the ones who who have a payoff, so to speak? You have three of the servants, right? One gets five talents. He trades with them. He makes another five. The second one receives two talents. And it doesn't say how. It doesn't say he traded with them. It just says he made another two. But there was one who received the money and he went off and he buried it in the ground. He buried it in the ground, right? And you've heard homilies about this for your whole life. Don't waste your talents, everybody. Don't waste your talents. God has given you great gifts. Don't bury them in the ground. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Don't bury them in the ground. Um, But... It's not as simple as that. I think that we're called to, to, to look more deeply at it than that because it's not meant to be, um, yeah, don't ignore it, don't bury it in the ground, but, but you have to do something with it. You have to really be attentive. And at the end of the day, no matter what it is, it will always be a risk. It will always be a risk. Um, working at school and especially walking with a lot of young men who are thinking about priesthood and they and this was true in my own life, it's true in the life of every priest I've ever met, but it's it, walking with these guys as they say, I, I can't say yes to seminary because I'm not sure. can't say yes to seminary because I'm not sure. Well, baby, you're never going to be sure. <laughs> you're never going to be sure. And any of you out there who are living a mature life, you know that the biggest things in your life came when you were faced with a question and you had to make a decision and you weren't really sure. And you took a risk, you hazarded, right? You, you had a stake, you, st- you, you, you took a risk. And sometimes it pays off and sometimes it doesn't. But the Lord, you know, he doesn't just answer all the things we ask. He doesn't just pop out of the sky and say, here's your life, uh, follow it. Why? Because he allows us to have doubt because it is only, because he lets us be free. That's the answer. God allows us to have doubts. He allows us to take risks without fully knowing because it's the only way we could be free. If he just popped his head out of the sky and revealed to us everything in one moment, then we wouldn't be free to make a decision anymore because uh, we would be able to see too much. We would be able to be influenced too much. And he wants us to be free. We don't have to choose him. We don't have to follow him. We get to follow him. We get to choose him. We don't have to. He doesn't force us because once we become forced, then it's not love. And that's what he wants from us, right? It's interesting, though. We blame the third guy. He ba- he buries his money in the ground. But these guys are servants, right? And that he entrusts, it says, to each according to his ability. He entrusts to each according to his ability. So the one who has low talent <laughs> has low talent, so to speak. And... You know, that guy, who knows what what was his job in the household? My guess is that it was not the investment banker of the master. And so you have this guy who, who knows what his job was, 
being called, yes, he was one of his own servants. He understood somewhat the personality, the priorities, the expectations of the master. But my sense is that what he had been doing before this, or what he expected to be doing when the master called him, is probably not investing the master's money. And so that's the thing. A lot of times we're faced with questions that will take us or situations or decisions that will take us, depending how we answer, down a totally different road in life than we thought we would be on. And that can be very difficult. That can be extremely difficult, actually. And I think a lot of our unhappiness in the spiritual life and with each other in the world comes from the topic of expectations, that I have formed certain expectations or I have formed a certain kind of narrative in my mind, but that expectations are not being met or the narrative doesn't seem to be react, uh, reflective of what reality is actually doing. And then we get upset, right? Oh, I'm not getting my way or it's not how I thought it would be. Um, And that produces a great kind of sadness in us because we have to grieve the loss of those expectations. We have to grieve the way that we thought life would go, the fact that it's not going that way. And then we, that paves the way for a kind of radical acceptance. But radical acceptance is not easy either. And like, if you think that, that, you know, just because it's God's will or just because um, it's being asked of us by the church, that's going to make it seem like, wow, this is really awesome at first glance. Uh, um, no, that's simply not going to be the way that it is. And it's true in every relationship that you have. It's true with your job. It's true in your marriage. It's true with your children. It's true with your parents. And so we live, a lot of people live in a great sense of disappointment with their life. And largely, it's because they couldn't name what they actually were expecting or their expectations were not realistic, or quite frankly, someone let them down, right? You took the risk and it didn't work. And that can produce a lot of trepidation. And the the third guy says that. Master, I knew you were a demanding person, harvesting where you did not plant, gathering where you did not scatter. So out of fear, I went off and buried your talent in the ground. Here it is back. So he didn't lose anything, but he didn't win anything either. Out of fear, I went off and buried your talent in the ground. Here it is back. The Ohalos have that great line. Our fear has betrayed us. We lived in fear and our fear has betrayed us. When we make decisions based on fear, we don't, we become paralyzed and we don't make a decision where we make decisions that are haphazard, or we make decisions that don't make sense, or we make decisions that are not really truly what we want to do, but they're done in the interest of being safe still, or taking an easier or comfortable way. But fear always betrays us because this risk is required, right? Um, It's part of the entrustment. It's part of faith. Risk is part of faith. Um, And we know that one day we shall see all things as they are, but the earth does not give us that luxury, unfortunately. And yeah, I don't know. I just lost my train of thought. (laughs) Fear betrays us. Does that mean we should never be afraid? No. I mean, don't be afraid. John Paul says that. Jesus says that, of course. Do not be afraid. But you want to make sure that you have a healthy fear that you're not just making wild choices and running around, but at the same time recognizing that 
the the kind of basis for why the Lord can say to you, do not be afraid, have no anxiety about anything, is precisely because of that beautiful word, own, idios. That he has not called you to trick you, he has not called you to bamboozle you, to dupe you, as Jeremiah would say. He has called you to himself so that you might be one with him, which was the plan for you and for me from the very beginning. That he has um, called you to himself that you might become more alive than you can imagine. But it does require um, a little bit of an alteration in perhaps your expectations and in the way that you go about living your life. That radical acceptance is something that I encourage all of you to pray for this week. Lord, help me to see what it is that I'm really trying very hard not to see. Lord, help me to understand what it is that you are asking of me and help me to um, maybe not even say yes or no right now, but help me to at least see it clearly and that the fear of it might be gone and that I might understand that uh, the risk with you, Jesus, is worth it. The risk of loving you, the risk of walking with you, the risk of giving myself to you, it will be worth it. But from a psychological point of view, from the very human point of view, um, it's also important to allow the Lord to reveal to you what are the expectations that you're carrying? What are the expectations that you've had in your life that have not been met? And what connection does that have to a lot of the sources of kind of consternation or grief that you're carrying around with you? That, that feeling of heaviness or darkness within you or that feeling of loathing towards certain people or places or things. Um, what connection is there between that feeling and the expectations of your life that have not been met or the difficulties of relationships of people who have legitimately let you down um, over time? Because as soon as you can name those, then you can begin to let go of them. But that's a different story for another day. Uh, I hope you all are doing well. Please continue to pray for me and uh, know of my prayers for you. You can follow me, of course, on Instagram and also go over to the Substack. I would love to uh, continue the conversation over there in a more long-form way, um, but also I'll really, really try to be better at these podcasts uh, every week or mostly every week. Um, this will be the last time that you hear me before Thanksgiving, so I want to wish you all a very happy and blessed Thanksgiving. Uh, give some time to the Lord in in those days as well, and don't make it don't make it full of this and that. Lord, give me this. Lord, give me that. Pause your prayer and learn to just say thank you, thank you for life, thank you for my family, thank you for uh, the ways in which you continue to bless me, the ways I understand and the ways I don't. Um, but make sure that you approach the Lord with that spirit of thanksgiving, because what do you have? that it has not been given to you by him. Hope you're doing well. God bless you. Be good.